Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Pins and Politics, Mr. Watson. I am indeed your host, Christian Watson. It is so good to be with you today on this very turbulent week in American politics. Very turbulent week. Actually, in the world. I won't even, I won't even compartmentalize it to American politics, because that would be a, doing a disservice to the extent of the chaos and the convulsions and the growing pains that a lot of the world has. Because really, guys, these are growing pains. These are not, these are not, these are not novel things. These are not elementary things. These are growing pains. Human beings are dominoes, as the great Isabel Patterson, one of the founding mothers of libertarianism, said. We are, and we are masses of potential that are lumbering through the world. A world in which we use our potential to create and instill our will upon the elements and craft civilizations and craft opportunities and craft an outpouring of potential. That is what human beings are, ladies and gentlemen. But whenever you have such a dynamic living organism, you're going to have times that living organism has to adjust to things. Especially when those things are external to that organism's being. It's the societal strife happening right now amid George Floyd's death. These riots, these destroying the statues, we'll talk about all that in a moment. All of that is external to the being of human beings. It is fundamentally external. That does not define us. It is not it does not constitute us. It does not tell us anything about ourselves that is consequential. It does not say anything about our human being. It says more about the society in which we live in, the time in which we live in, the narratives that control, or not control, because I don't think they control us, but I think the narratives that determine the kind of conversations we have. That is the consequential thing happening right now. So today we'll be talking about the something that my school did amid all of this chaos. My school, my university, decided that they would go out and lease an open letter to the student body this particularly was the, no, this was not the university, this was the College of Liberal Arts. So a, a aspect of the university, especially since my university is a liberal arts college, so an aspect of the university said that it would go out and it would release a mass email to all liberal arts students, indiscriminately, exhorting them, and also exhorting their faculty, which apparently overwhelmingly agreed to the email, to talk about the truths of white privilege, microaggressions, and systemic racism in the classroom and to enact anti-racism in the behavior. So we'll be talking a little bit about that and the implications of that. We'll be discussing this 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 vile ideology that is being postulated by Sean King and a lot of other people in the Black Lives Matter group that are just saying, oh yes, Jesus Christ is now a symbol of white supremacy. Jesus Christ, he who transcended Mortal sins. He who transcended mortality. Who, who, he who transcended, if you believe in Christian theology. I do. You don't have to, to get this message. But he who literally subordinated the ills, the imperfections, and the, and the wounds of humanity into the ground and transcended to a higher place. He is a symbol of one of those ills, white supremacy, allegedly. We'll also be discussing uh, the fallout from these riots. The president, President Trump, has not been very, uh, very happy about this stuff. Neither have I. And it's just, it's, it's all been a very, 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 
very turbulent time, and this country is now convulsing in pain. The Supreme Court just released a monumental ruling a week ago, and people are using that as a vector for social justice or whatever. We'll talk about all of that and more in this episode of Pits of Politics, Mr. Watson. Let's get to what my school said. So I was, as I am wont to do, I was browsing my email, trying to figure out who to pitch to get on the show, because I want to have people on the show. I think that, that this could be important for our intellectual and spiritual and moral growth. As, as, as Bob Paul Emerson said in Self-Reliance, my life is not for a spectacle. I would rather be lowly and grainy than to be glittery, because my life is for me. And I'm taking that essence of for me, and I'm exuding it out towards you guys. Because you guys are the people who I think can benefit from this. You know, if you've got a little bit of wisdom to share, you should be able to, to give it to other people, especially your audience if you love them. And I love all of you guys. And I stumbled upon a, a mass email from the College of Liberal Arts, and I will not post it here because I, I, I respect my university. I, I truly do. I respect my university, and I'm not trying to make anyone upset, but if the truth gets people upset, I suppose it's a consequence of the truth. But I immensely respect my university. But what I do not respect, I do not respect attempts to strong-arm students or faculty into accepting premises, subjective premises, as fact, number one, and number two, to villainize them if they reject those premises as people who are a part of a cabal of deceit and deception and, and just legitimately subjective things are now being strong-armed into the, not the curriculum, I hope, well, I hope not the curriculum, but they are now being strong-armed into the classroom discussion of many liberal arts college, uh, uh, school, classrooms at my university, if I am to believe this email. And this email also exhorted teachers to teach those truths, to teach the truths, of microaggressions to teach the truths of systemic racism. The problem is not that we're confronting racism. The email, the, the, the premise of the email is condemning George Floyd's death. Good thing. The premise of the email is fighting racism. Good thing. These are all benevolent things that help each and every one of us fulfill our individuality in a spiritual sense. Because when you go against these banal forms of collective thinking, of a, a collective branding, which bring us all down on both a material and spiritual level. Guess what, you ha guess what happens? You unlock a dynamo that spins around like a wheel, a very, a very, very fast-spinning wheel, and in doing so, oscillates and dissolves the strands of negativity that is suffocating us as individuals. However, when you pair the gospel of equality and the gospel of individuality with false gospels of collectivism, of white guilt, of microaggressions, and all these other things that are, in, that are nominal to the actual issues, except for those who seek to commandeer racism and individuality to push their agendas, you dilute the true purpose of the message. This is a dilution coming from the College of Liberal Arts faculty. It's what it is. It is a, a dilution of the actual issues. Racism is a big issue, I think. But I can think racism is a big issue without believing that African Americans like me are systemically held back 
every day of our damned lives. And I say damned lives because if you were to believe the systemic racism mindset, you would believe our lives are damned. They certainly are presented that way. You know, just because I don't believe that does not mean that I am a vector for racism or I'm not, or I'm an Uncle Tom or whatever. That doesn't mean anything. Like, no, of course it not. It simply means that I am skeptical of a subjective premise. But you are presenting a subjective premise as an objective reality, and that is deceitful. That is wrong. That is malevolent. That is, that is, that is intellectual demonism. That is just vile. It's vile because it obviously obscures the truth. And without the truth, there is absolutely no way in hell that we can operate with clarity and certainty of mind, which we need, especially in this time, where folks are losing their good sense, as Descartes would say, and smashing statues apart, and violating prior property rights, and creating illegitimate autonomous zones. If there is any time in which we need our good sense, it is right now, people. But when you present lies or opinions as truth, you dilute the only tool we have to survive this metaphysical war between good and evil. That's what this war is about. It's between good and evil. Racism is an evil. Individualism is a good. Now, it cannot be broken down so neatly into a binary sense, of course. But overall, that is the fundamental cosmological conflict that's happening right now between good and evil. But we don't win that war. We don't engage that war. We don't actually see the enemy by buying into their tactics. You will never see the enemy by convincing white folks that they are guilty and racist simply because uh, by vice, not by virtue, by vice of their skin color. And then calling them fragile when they say, hey, don't judge me by my skin color. Calling them fragile, engaging in linguistic wizardry, bile, dark stuff that invalidates their voice in the conversation. Which prompts folks like me, who, and I, I don't want my race to be an issue here, but unfortunately is, it prompts folks like me to step up and say, hey, you shouldn't try to exclude someone's voice in the conversation because it's something they couldn't control. They control coming into the conversation, so use that principle of free will, the same principle in which they entered into this intellectual space to begin with, to engage with them. Don't use the principle of exclusion, which so many on the left are want to say they are against, against people who, who, who disagree with you. If inclusion is the goal, and this is a lot of these diversity and initiatives and inclusion initiatives, a lot of them have those words in them, but if inclusion is truly the goal, you have to include folks who may think differently than you. This is a basic, basic fact. This is a basic fact of the science of human interaction. If human beings didn't have a, a, a diversity of opinion, civilization would never start in the first place. Civilization was birthed from conflict, and conflict is the outgrowth of a difference of opinion. As Plato would say, conflict is the evidence of ignorance, or differing opinions or disagreement, and particularly in his words, disagreements are the evidence of ignorance. And so we are all ignorant in some things, and that ignorance is exposed when we disagree with something. And so the goal then is to try to find the truth. But the faculty of the college of liberal arts who signed this statement are not interested in finding the truth, they're interested in already presupposing that they have the truth and pushing things that are clearly not established truth as truth and, sh and to present a certain narrative 
that folks who may disagree will be scorned for not going along with. That is a problem. And as a student at Mercy University, I must say that is wrong. I do not believe faculty had ill intent in their heart when doing this. I do not believe that. I think that a lot of folks, a lot of white folks, let's be, honest, let's, let's be authentic with this. Let's be our true selves. A lot of white folks feel guilty. A lot of white folks think, hey, what role did I play in this slavery situation? That's what a lot of white folks think. Hey, what am I doing to perpetuate the ills that black folks faced 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 60 years ago, right now? Hey, all, all, this, all this stuff that's been instilled in them, it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not correct. People want to use a consequentialist argument and say, "Hey, it's not ethical." No, 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 no. Hey, it's not. Uh, it's not effective. Well, I, I think it's quite effective in the wrong way. It's just not correct. It's just not correct. White guilt is not correct, guys. White guilt guilt is a foul lie that has been produced by certain agitators that genuinely want people to feel guilty about something they never did. It neglects individuality. It neglects spiritual truth. It neglects personability. It neglects every single building block of persuasion and human interaction. It, it, you cannot hold people accountable for things they had no part in producing. Because once you do that, they are no longer serving you or trying to help you out of a genuine charitable spirit produced and bound up in the human DNA. No, they are trying to go out there and help you because they feel as if they are obligated to you for something they never did. For something they never did. If you want real allies... If you want real folks who are genuinely interested in furthering the cause for equality, don't make folks feel guilty about it. Wouldn't it be easier to just say racism existed and we believe there's racism in society right now in a very material and tangible way, but just because you're a certain skin color does not mean you play a part in that racism. If you just said that, Sean King, Duray McKesson, Jesse Smollett, if you just said that, if you just said that, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, if you just said that, Ilhan Omar, if you just said that, Cornell West, who I respect deeply, but still, if you just said that, instead of going on CNN and saying that capitalism is causing all these ills, if you had just used an individualistic calculus to speak the truth, wouldn't have the need to evoke a sense of guilt in people. Stop using race as a weapon. It is exactly what happened to us. What happened to African Americans? When we were on the field. And then in the sharecropping industry. On the plantation. Where, we had, where our labor was a little bit freer. I, I, don't, I, I don't think it was. It was so vile. That's precisely what happened to us. And so by repeating history, 
And by necromantizing the vile actions, you're a, it's like a strand of an invisible string that you're pulling back through time. You're not seeing time as a linear thing. You think time is think time goes both ways. It goes one way. We think it goes both ways. And so you're taking one way and you're pulling that string back to your camp and using whatever you can throughout history. Pretend that you are victimized and disadvantaged and, and, and hurt and maimed by a legacy of racism. You are not. You are not. Right now, African Americans have more chances than they've had in a long time. We've had more opportunities than we've had in a long time. And that's not because we're black. That's because we are individuals and African Americans have been brilliant in using their economic genius to push through hard times, to come from the hood, like where I came from, and to do things that will set up a productive, bountiful life for them and their families. Are you going to take the truth and the inspiration from Frederick Douglass, from Black Wall Street, from Black South Gainesville, from all successful black entrepreneurs? Are you going to take their success and their example? Or will you continue to postulate a lie that gives you a convenient excuse to neglect the true cause of problems that are occurring right now? Choice is yours, folks. In, in this vein, Sean King, who is a, a emissary of untruth, just someone who absolutely has no, no genuine interest in philosophy, no genuine interest in actually helping anyone, no genuine interest in actually producing things that will evoke a sense of, a sense of, of solace in individuals who have had to endure terrible things, has no interest in actually fighting police brutality. Sean King had the nerve to say, That statues of Jesus Christ are a form of white supremacy. You heard that right. Statues of Jesus Christ, the man who conquered the ills of humanity and paid for it on Calgary. The, or the, not the man, I don't say the man, but the being. The being whose blood supposedly washes away all of humanity's ills, which we are inherently conceived upon, conceived with, we believe the Christian theology. That man is allegedly a white supremacist symbol. And so let me give some, let me let me try to explain the argument a little bit. The argument goes like this. The statues of Jesus Christ are Europeanized, Europeanized versions of Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ, in an indirect way, now conveys white supremacy because Europeans took his image and, and anglicized it. This has been a, a talking point of the nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan for a very, very long time. A lot of black identity or black separatist movements have said this talking point for a very, very long time. In fact, there was actually a debate within the Pentecostal church that I grew up in that Jesus was black, or if Jesus was black, and if so, why the heck is he being painted as white? And so this is this, this is a bizarre idea that apparently by depicting Christ in a certain light or a certain image, he is now conveying something that he's not meant to convey. I got news for you, Sean King. I got news for you, folks. I got news for you. I got some very stunning epiphanies to give you right now that will come off my tongue and hopefully hit your prefrontal cortex and seep into your soul and unlock a sense of truth within your being. I got news for you. Christ's example will always stand above the material. Let me say that again. Christ's example will always stand above the material. And the material 
is the body he was bound up in. The flesh he was bound up in. But he transcended that so we didn't have to go through that pain of transcension. Seriously. And so how can you acknowledge that truth? And so what they straight face say, Christ symbolizes white supremacy. He doesn't. Imagine this. If Christ ascended from his body, and his body represented all of the sins and all of the ills and all of the evil, then why are you saying that a body which was shedded represents something? A statue is merely a depiction of an idea or a body. It's all a statue is. It is a depiction of an idea, oftentimes bound up in a body. And so in that sense, Sean King, why are you pretending that that statue or that Christ's body represents the wholeness of Christ? Christ literally transcended from his body. Christ quite literally became more than his body. He transcended to the, to the heavens. He became, or he already was, but he became again a part of that divine trinity. So how in the world could you possibly say that Jesus Christ represents white supremacy? Do you have any sort of intellectual or moral fortitude, honesty within you? I am just astounded. I am beyond astounded. You are engaging in, lingu in linguistic mistruth to push a temporal agenda by using a being that transcends time. You've lost, Sean King. And look, you don't have to believe in Christ to get what I'm saying. You don't have to do that. And I'm not trying to be animated. I'm not speaking fast. Because look, I'm just, I'm fed up with this stuff, guys. I am genuinely fed up with this stuff. I am getting very tired of being told that if I believe a certain way, if I pray a certain way, if I am a certain way, if I if I like a different, if I like the same sex or whatever, all these things, I'm getting really tired of being told these things define me and that the material transcends the spiritual. This is Marxism to a T, guys. Karl Marx literally analyzed the whole society, the whole of humanity through material means. He neglected the spiritual. He neglected anything that was not immediately visible throughout history. He was a determinist. This is what dialectical materialism was all about. This is precisely what it was about. And so Sean King is channeling that Marxian ethic, that Marxian maxim, which suppresses the spiritual, which suppresses the conceptual, and gives rise to the material. It's a form of death, guys. We are more than our bodies. We are more than our period of time. We are more than our history. We are dynamic spiritual beings with the capability to change the current circumstances, to change our lives, to shape our world. Why aren't you seeing this? You have to see this. Because if you don't, you will never be satisfied in your life. Never. Never. And for Sean King to postulate that untruth so confidently as he did is just disgraceful. It's just wrong. It's wrong on so many levels. It's illogical. It's vile. I'm not just saying platitudes. I just I explained to you why it was vile and illogical. But to be, to be frank with you, I don't want to have to go through that again. I don't want to go and explain and keep explaining why it's vile. It should be self-evident. It should be axiomatic. Christ. what it should be.
Sean King, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed of yourself, dude. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, man? How dare you? Just insinuate the te most terrible thing. How dare you, dude? And, and, and the thing about Sean King, he doesn't even do it with that spirit of genuineness, that spirit of 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 of, of actual. What is the word for it? And there are very few times where I'm lost for words. You guys can probably tell, but it's not long. He doesn't even do it in a way that gives rise to understanding. He doesn't do it in a way. This is where linguistics comes into play. Because Marx, for all of his faults, was great with words. The written word and the spoken word. Which is why he was able to dupe and deceive so many people into accepting his false materialistic gospel, which guided several revolutions and led to so many. Well, actually, I'm not going to say that because I I don't believe that an ideology kills. I think it, I think people kill. But I think an ideology can inspire death. An ideology can inspire death. I think Marxism inspired a lot of, a lot of, cleansing. Now you should, probably shouldn't blame Marx for that because there are folks who do things on their own volition. But I think that Mark, the ideas of Marxism, at the very least, inspired a very unethical mindset, which led people to unwittingly or wittingly kill folks. Let's just be honest. And so, but death does not always come in material forms, guys. Death can also come in a conceptual form. If you are seen as simply a boundless husk, unintelligent, lumbering through space, space and time, you are not really seen as a human being, as that as a dynamo of potential in life that has come to print your will upon reality and leave it a better place. You're not seen as that. You are seen as a concoction of chemical and biological processes that is guided by your biological processes and imprinted with a particular expiration date upon it. That's what you're seen as. And so this is why we have to get away from these false mindsets, guys. Because they are quite literally destroying our ability to understand these things in a terrible way. And I, I don't want to let it get to me. But when it comes into the classroom, guys, and you have white professors talking about, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to try to commit microaggressions. I'm going to apologize for my white privilege. When it comes into the classroom, the space where the spirit of truth and intellectual inquiry is supposed to exist, when it enters into uh, the formative minds of folks, you are creating a bad standard. Fight racism. But don't be sorry about something you didn't do. Period. It's a very simple message, guys. It's a very simple message. And we can talk about some racism, too. I don't mind universities talking about that. But I do certainly mind universities pushing it as fact. It's not a fact. There is police brutality. There is police brutality. Police brutality is wrong. It's evil. It's vile. It is a dereliction of the principle of the duty that police are supposed to perform. Police are there to protect your rights, and that's it. Period. They're not there to arrest you for drugs. They're not there to, you know, make you feel like you're a criminal in your own neighborhood. Police are not there to be hired guns for a particular mentality. Police are there to protect your rights. When they don't do that, they're not being police. However, I genuinely believe that most police genuinely do try to protect rights. There's a reason why officerial discretion exists. 
There's a reason why a lot of cops don't really arrest for marijuana charges anymore. Because they don't, they want to protect your rights. But there's also a compulsion from the legalistic mindset upon them to do certain things. So instead of getting rid of them or calling police inherently racist, how about you, re, how about you change the standards by which they're operating under? How about you lower the bulwark that is protecting them so they can be more susceptible to public, public recourse if need be? Qualified immunity, get rid of that. Why not, as my friend Porter Instrom wrote for WeAreLibertarians.com recently, I'll put that piece in the description down below, wherever you're listening or watching this at, watching this on YouTube, watching this on Spotify, whatever, as he wrote, make them carry liability insurance, like, make them actually pay liability insurance out of their pockets. There are all sorts of ways you can clamp down on police brutality, but police brutality is not racism. Police brutality affects people of every single Unfortunately. And, well, it's unfortunate that it even exists. Of course. That's how we fight. We don't fight it by presupposing certain truths about all cops. We fight it by calling out instances of injustice and removing the systemic barriers that allow them to flourish. Simple. Simple. Simple as that. But we need to really think, guys, we need to have a very deep conversation with ourselves. And ask ourselves, are we arriving to a point in which our individuality is being tarred and feathered by the willingness and the urge to acquiesce, to be weak-willed, to have no spine in the face of adversity? Is our individuality being squandered and destroyed by our, un our ignorance to our true condition? Is our individuality being smothered by the blind acceptance of certain ideas like race that destroy who we really are inside, that put an arbitrary classification on who we are as people, are, is our individuality needlessly suffering? Because we as human beings, we as Americans, we as whoever, we as Englanders, we as Canadians, we as Australians, we as French folks, are letting it suffer. The question I'm going to leave you with is today is this, guys. What are you going to do in your life to stand against the kind of wretched, demonic, linguistic wizardry that we are seeing transpire across America? What are you going to do? You're going to sit back and pretend that you're guilty because of your race? Or are you going to stand up and say, hey, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I stand on my own two feet. I am my own individual. And I will not be told otherwise. Will you assert the glory of that Emersonian truth? That the inmost of your human being becomes the outmost. And that you speak the truth and it will soon become the universal sense. Will you utilize your power to effect the universal sense? Or will you sit back and never actualize what could have been the powder keg that transformed this world into one of pain and suffering, into one of cooperation, peace, love, and the ultimate recognition of the primacy of our individuality, not our race, 
Not our sexual orientation. Not our political affiliation. Not our religion. Not our disability status. But our individuality. Choice is yours. Choice is yours, guys. Until next time, my people, please stay pensive.